Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, guys. Welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland, and I wanted to continue my podcast about the story of Uber, and I brought Scott Benjamin in to talk for a little bit. Originally, this was going to be uh, in the first episode, but Scott and I talked for about 45 minutes, and it turned out that that was going to be way too long to tack on to the end of part one. So here is part two, where I end up asking Scott some really tough questions about Uber and autonomous cars and a future where car ownership may become a thing of the past. If you listen carefully, you can hear the exact moment his heart breaks. Here we go. You know, to really dive into this topic, I decided I could not do this as just a solo episode. So I have brought in the foremost mind on automotive issues here at How Stuff Works, Scott Benjamin. Scott, thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you much. Uh, the uh, the foremost mind maybe on this floor in this building. <laughs> yeah, I think for How Stuff Works was a fair clarification. Uh, yeah, we're we're um, we're happy to have you on again. And of course, uh, I mean, I, I love having Scott on the show because Scott is game for anything. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. I, uh, I love being here. It's a fun conversation usually. Yeah, and this was great because I actually I came up to Scott today this morning. A little peek behind the curtain and said, would you mind jumping in? You said, sure. So we're going to talk a little bit about the implications of Uber and sort of uh, I want to I want to kind of find out what your thoughts are on Uber, the service in general, and also more specifically, this proposed future of Uber, where we have a fleet of electric robo cars taking us wherever we go and we don't own any of them. Yeah, with no driver. With no driver, yeah, yeah. So, because you know you want to get rid of that pesky person that you have to pay. So autonomous Uber vehicles is what we're talking about. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I, I figured. Yeah, so, so for those who don't know you, Scott, I think it's fair to say that you enjoy cars. I really enjoy cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every every aspect of it, and you know, I I initially when I when I started doing our own car stuff podcast years mm-hmm. ago, seven eight years ago, whatever mm-hmm. it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a non-believer in the self-driving vehicles. Well, and especially at that time, I mean, the technology was so young, right? Yeah, I think we've talked about that, that it required so much infrastructure at that time, mm-hmm. even even seven years ago, for it to work. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been toying around with this for a long, long time. I mean, decades. Oh, yeah. And I've seen some of the older vehicles, you know, from the early 1970s, late 1960s that had enormous boxes that were tied to them and there were, right. there were embedded wires in the road and you know, even then they, they sort of worked, but not really. You know, it was, uh, it was kind of, uh, just a mixed match of, uh, all different types of components that were added to the vehicle, add-ons. Right. Uh, to a standard vehicle. And now they're designing cars to be autonomous, uh, in different ways, like with, um, you know, the lane departure systems and the, uh, you know, the, the adaptive cruise control systems and, you know, all that Parking stuff. Parking assist. That, exactly. All those little components that are now starting to come together, starting to, uh, gel, I guess, into one vehicle that is doing all that stuff mm-hmm. with much smaller, uh, smaller componentry, I guess, you know, because yeah. technology is getting better. Yeah, you no and, longer have these like gigantic uh, uh, cones or periscopes or things necessarily. Although, depending on some of the vehicles, like Google's approach tends to have, you know, a noticeable protrusion on the top of the vehicle. And you realize that's where a lot of the brains or at least the senses of this vehicle reside. Sure. But there are cars out there that have that same stuff. 
and it's all embedded within. You'd never know that it's right. there. And the biggest thing about this whole thing, and I know that I do that kind of lead in for every time I talk about autonomous vehicles, but uh, the biggest thing is the the, uh, the the removal of the requirement of the infrastructure for this to work. Yeah, the fact that the early vision of autonomous cars, were, it really wasn't about the cars. It was about the freeways, right? Like the idea of these autonomous highways that cars would kind of link into, almost like a slot car. Yeah. And, and the vehicle itself would be largely a dumb machine that would respond to the uh, the needs and the commands of the highway. We we moved away from that, where all of that ended up being internalized into the vehicle. Although you know, there's some discussion about making smart roads and um, larger systems that are made up of these individual components, almost like the cars become neurons in a brain that's made up of highways and other vehicles. But for the most part, we've we've kind of uh, moved all of that technology into the vehicle itself, which definitely removes a lot of the problems that we saw seven or eight years ago when the thought was, in order for this to work, we'd have to make such a huge change in existing infrastructure that it's too large of a job and too expensive of a prospect for it to ever become a reality. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we, we still are seeing little bits of this in that, you know, they're self-parking cars. Yeah. And they only work in certain parking lots. Right. Uh, you know, parking lots that have that technology embedded within the uh, within the pavement or mm-hmm. in the walls or mm-hmm. however it works. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm now a firm believer in the idea that this can, this is possible. Right. This can happen. And the, I, the idea that somebody would summon a taxi, an Uber, mm-hmm. uh, I guess an Uber vehicle instead mm-hmm. of a taxi. Sure. And, uh, have it, you know, arrive on the scene within 30 seconds. I think that's the, uh, the goal here, right? Yeah. Uh, arrive in 30 seconds and you get in and it takes you to where you want to go automatically and lets you out. You're charged, of course, you know, the way Uber normally does. There's mm-hmm. no cash transaction that has to happen or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, aside from having to have an awkward conversation with the driver, uh, this, <laughs> this yeah. seems like it's a good way to go. Right. I mean, it, it, just imagine that you throw in, as long as you throw in the ability to have voice commands, to have the radio station of your choice playing. <laughs> yeah, did I say that right? Because what I was saying was, uh, you know, you usually... I guess in in a typical cab, I always feel that uh, that pressure to kind of uh, chat with the guy. I would a bit. I would say that for at least the first two miles of any trip in any vehicle, I feel there's a, a social obligation to attempt a conversation. Mm-hmm. And based upon how awkward that conversation is at the end of two miles, you then have to make the very tough decision: Do I continue this awkward experience, well, or is it okay for me to trail off at this point? You know, I've had many enjoyable conversations with cab drivers oh, in the sure. past, and I'm sure that Uber drivers are the same way. Yeah, I've had I've had conversations that, for one, don't involve working for Uber. That that you have to get through. There are a couple of things you got to get past, right? There are the typical conversations. This is true for taxi drivers as well. Uh, there's there's the weather and there's traffic. Those are the two you got to get past first. Then with Uber, you have to get past the, so yeah, I, I love Uber, whatever, or you don't love Uber, or yeah. however you want to b- breach that. And then after that, you can get into other areas of conversation. I've had some great ones, but I know a lot of people who say, that's one of those elements about this that they are looking forward to saying goodbye to the the uh, the feeling that you are forced to have a social interaction, which might say a lot about our continuing journey on this pathway where we compartmentalize everything and we yeah. no longer have to deal with people like we, we can do all our shopping online. We can do all of our we can ride around in a robot car. That says a lot about who we are as people. 
But at the same time, you think, well, if you just want to, you just want to get to where you're going, and you're not looking to have that kind of interaction. You're, you know, you just, you're just literally, you just need to get from point A to point B. I can see the appeal in it. Yeah, I can too. I can understand that. Now, I wonder, I, I just wonder. Uh, how many people are going to be really comfortable the first time they get into a vehicle that has no driver yeah. that, that then sets out onto uh, New York City street and uh, and all the congestion and traffic and people and all that, that comes with that? You know, knowing that I, and I would assume they know already that this is going to be an autonomous vehicle that's going to pick them up because right. the, the app will tell them that. Sure. You know, because normally there's a spot that shows you shows your driver. Yeah. You know who it is. If it just shows you a picture of a vehicle, then that's that's an indicator right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. It's it's really going to be interesting or fascinating to see mm-hmm. how people react to that, especially if they're not really um, accustomed to it. You know, the very first ride that they ever take, I would be just I'd be excited to see what people's reaction to it would be like. And, you know, an in-car camera view of, yeah. of people kind of laughing, giggling about it. You know, it's got to be kind of uh, scary in a way, but also fun. Yeah, exhilarating. Yeah, almost yeah. like an amusement park ride at yeah. first, really. I think uh, I think wherever w- when we get to the point where Uber is ready to launch a prototype version of this, like a beta version of this, that will definitely be part of it. It'll probably end up being one of those things where you use the app. It it asks, "Would you be willing to do this?" And if so, do you agree to allow video of this to be displayed? Because obviously, otherwise, you've got this whole privacy issue about. A person getting into a vehicle and having their their video image taken. Oh, sure. Uh, but um, I, I would I would jump at that chance. Yeah, you, know, you make a good point. I was thinking about this. What, what happens? Okay, so um, let's say that a uh, group of people are out drinking at night. Okay. And uh, invariably, there's going to be somebody who gets uh, sick in the car, car sick. Right. What happens in a driverless car? Because there's nobody there to say this car is out of service right, right. now because right. of this issue. Uh, you know, like an Uber driver or a taxi driver would say, "I gotta, I gotta." take an hour off and get this cleaned up. Right. What happens in an autonomous vehicle that has another stop scheduled 45 seconds away from where they just dropped that person that's off? That's an excellent question. I wonder. <clears throat> I don't know how that's going to have to have to have puke sensors inside the vehicle. Yeah, because that would be <laughs> that's an, that'd be an unpleasant surprise. Yeah. No, I definitely I would not. I mean, I, I'm sure one way you, one thing you could do to address that. It's not the ideal version, obviously. Is that you build into the app the ability to say the car that was sent is needs to be serviced, and then the robo car would immediately hightail it back to HQ, yeah. and then another vehicle would be sent out. But that requires the person to already have experienced the unpleasant scenario of opening up a door and going, "Whoa, that is not fit for human beings to get into right now." That's true, and you can't rely on the person before that to, uh, you know, I don't know, hit a button or something that yeah, says, says "send back to," you right. know. Uh, main service branch. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't want anyone to be able to abuse such like someone just being a jerk and saying, all right, now for haha's sake, I'm going to push this button and the car is going to go offline, which is going to affect possibly someone else down the line by making them wait an extra minute and a half or however long it might be. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question that I don't think there's an answer to yet, unless you do have um, some other weird sensors in there. Even if you have a camera, you still have to have someone watching it to see what's going on, right? Yeah. yeah. So you know, some of the other things. I was just thinking about a few different scenarios of, of things that could happen. And you know, there's a limit in cabs when you when you get in. There's a you know a seat limit. You know, number of people sure. that are allowed to share a fare. Yeah. And otherwise, they're charged more. How do they How do they protect against something like that in in an autonomous vehicle where there's not a driver to say, hey, wait a minute, you can't put eight people in this car? Well, you know, and I've seen for for that because. As Uber does not add an extra fee for the number of people who are riding, uh, I've actually seen 
the suggestion that for the Uber app, you would end up indicating how large your party is when you would request it for for an electric autonomous service. If we ever get to that point, part of the idea is that they would deploy a fleet of vehicles that would meet the general needs of the average day. So uh, for New York City, for example, most cab rides require are, are for one or two people mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, then you have a few that need, you know, it's a larger party, like a family with luggage. And the idea being that the app itself would have it built in so that you could say, I need a cab for two people or I need to have a van for a group of six. Oh. And, and the reason being is that that way the service can have just the size vehicles it needs for the region it needs. And the people who are using the app will have the experience that is still a positive experience as opposed to, well, you know what? We're going to save some money. We're just going to cram eight college students into the sedan. That's what I was thinking is how do they guard against something like that? They do, they do summon a sedan and then they decide to cram eight or 10 people into that sedan. Yeah. uh, Even though that it's not, even though it's not supposed to do that. I mean, would there be sensors that uh, somehow indicate the number of people to come in, you know, come into the vehicle or that, uh, you know, the weight of the vehicle has been exceeded or something like that? I mean, at least in that case, you can rest assured that the vehicle itself will still operate as safely as possible. It's just the interior will not be so safe for the people already riding in it. Yeah, I wonder, I I just wonder where this is going. Like, is it going to be a vehicle that doesn't even have a steering wheel, doesn't even have controls? Is this going to be something where the, the driver's area is still there, but but blocked off somehow, you know, like uh, right. almost a cage around yeah. it? Yeah, or could it even be where the driver's area is open for seating? It's just there are no, there are no accessible controls right yeah. there. zero controls. Like, uh, the, wasn't that the uh, Google, Google car is like that, right? Yeah, um, the the little prototype car where you just... looks like a gumdrop? Yeah, you've got like a button that you press, <laughs> you essentially. You push a button that says, go now, and it goes... Uh, I don't like that. <laughs> I'm not. fully in favor of that. I love that idea. One of the reasons why we, I, why I think that Uber's plan is more realistic, uh, version of the future of autonomous cars than say, I'm going to have my own autonomous car is one of price. And we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, the, the commonly quoted figure is that autonomous technology will add about $150,000 to the price tag of any vehicle. So take a vehicle any vehicle, and then say, all right, convert that so it's an autonomous vehicle, you add $150,000 to the price tag of that. That puts most cars well out of the range of most people's budgets. Sure, I would say so, because uh, cars are expensive to begin with, yeah. right? And we were trying to find a good example of this. Yes. And uh, the example that I came up with was the car that is probably the closest to a self-driving vehicle that's on the road right now. Yeah, that the consumers can purchase. Exactly right. There's a, a, a 2015 uh, Mercedes-Benz S500 that has a system called Intelligent Drive. Mm-hmm. And Intelligent Drive, and if we haven't already mentioned this on this podcast before, it's basically a self-driving vehicle, but they can't legally call it that. It's still, right. You still have to have a driver in the driver position. Mm-hmm. Driver doesn't have to do anything. Right. Programming the coordinates and the car goes. I've watched videos of it in, in action, and uh, it's flawless in the way it works. Um, but uh, the cost of a, a S, an S500 with Intelligent Drive is about two hundred and eighty six thousand dollars. That's uh that's a that's a lot of cheddar. Yeah, that is a lot of cheddar, that's right. Um and just to try to compare that, we were looking for a a version of that car that doesn't have the intelligent drive. And right. the closest we could get was an a, another S series vehicle, and instead of the five hundred it's the five fifty. 
but the MSRP on that vehicle is only $96,000. Now, so, only, so I say, nearly $200,000 less. Uh, nearly, yes. Yeah. And so that shows you just how much technology is packed into that S, uh, S500 with right. intelligent drive. Yeah. And again, this is a car where everything is really streamlined. I mean, it's, it's mostly tucked away. You still, you do see a few, uh, controls and you see a few, um, Modules, I guess, that you wouldn't find on a normal S500. Right. You know, that, that have, you know, the, uh, the electronic eye type stuff, I guess. If you, sure. For lack of better term. Yeah. But, um, it's really well tucked away. It's well designed. It's, it's, uh, it's not, you know, the big boxes on the, hanging off the front fenders, like, you know, the old style stuff that we've seen. Right. People aren't going to look at this vehicle and say, Hey, what's that for? No. Necessarily. Unless they're really paying close attention. And if you didn't know this car had an intelligent drive, and unless it has a badge on it that says intelligent drive, you wouldn't even know that it was one of these vehicles, mm-hmm. you know, versus a regular S 500. So the, the, the conclusion I come to with this is that these cars are likely not going to be something that that the average person is going to be able to afford any time in the near future. Even even assuming that car manufacturers build what are fully autonomous vehicles and put them out on the market, because we're getting you know th- this car, like you say, is about the closest that we have to that, and it's it's pretty much capable of doing it. Yeah, I mean, there's other manufacturers that are toying around with yeah. this too, but but Mercedes-Benz is one that's been out there in the forefront, and so is, uh, um, well, BMW and Audi, and of course Tesla's working on something. Nissan is testing a Leaf mm-hmm. uh, for autonomous vehicle, uh, for autonomous drive. Um, it seems like all manufacturers have something in the works, but it's always 10 years out. It's always yeah. going to be 10 years away. Yeah. And, and I just really wonder when they're going to finally say, this is an autonomous vehicle. You don't have to have a driver in the driver position. You could you could have everybody in the back seat if you wanted. Yeah. And I, and go to church or go wherever you're going to go. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a combination of the cost, that's mm-hmm. a big one, where they're trying to figure out, well, how can we get this down to a cost where it's worth it for us to even build the thing? Because if we if we build, you know, a thousand of these and we're only able to sell 10, there's no point in doing it. Yeah. Then there's also policy you know, making sure that it's actually legal in in the places where you sell the vehicle for someone to be able to ride in that vehicle without being in control of the car. I think that's the big one. That's that's a big one. It's I, I think the price and the legality are the two biggest uh, obstacles. It's not the technology. The technology is pretty much there. Technology is definitely there. I think the highest hurdle right now is uh, is the legal issues. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the uh, the regulations that don't allow for something like this. Right. And so assuming that we get to a point where the regulations are no longer an issue, the price then becomes the, the chief obstacle. And I think that as processes continue to improve, you know, we see prices come down when uh, we start streamlining those manufacturing processes and things sure. like that. And and the, the technology continues to evolve. But even so, $150,000 is a, is a huge amount of money. So so reducing that, I don't think we're ever going to get it where that ends up being a $5,000 price hike on a car. It's, no, I don't think so either. But and our our case is extreme. That's a Mercedes-Benz S-Class. Yeah. That's, a, that's a big luxury sedan. Sure. I mean, th- that's already a luxury vehicle. It's it's going to be expensive no matter what. Right. It really is. But and, and the price to upgrade to that type of system is always going to be more than it would be, let's say, if they if they did build a Nissan Leaf that has a system like this. Yeah, um, it, it's just going to be that much more. It's a uh, you know it, within scale, I guess. It's going to be balanced. I, w- I would hope so. I mean, it still is going to be a very expensive vehicle compared to one that would not have the autonomous controls, which is why I think the Uber approach, this idea of having a fleet of autonomous vehicles, 
is more realistic, a fleet operated by a service. I think that's more realistic than personal vehicles that are autonomously controlled, at least in the near future. So I think, say, let's say it's five years into the future and we've we've ironed out the legal issues, we've ironed out the uh, the technology, so everything on that side is fine. I think the price is still going to be prohibitive for the majority of car, prospective car owners. But for services like Uber, it makes perfect sense. You go out and you buy a whole bunch of these, and sure, they're expensive. And before, you weren't necessarily re- worrying about maintaining a fleet of cars because your drivers did that for you. But now, you don't have drivers to pay. So right now, Uber takes between uh, 25 and 30 percent of every fare. So that's their commission, mm-hmm. uh, which means that 70 to uh, 75 to 80 percent goes to the driver. And it varies depending upon the market. Uh, well, you cut out the driver. You don't pay robots, Scott. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> really? Yeah. Robots oh. Robots are, are, I mean, you know, they're expensive to buy, but they work for free. Depends so. on how sophisticated that robot is. Really. Yeah, I guess so. If you have a robot that doesn't do much other than maybe walk a few feet before falling over, it may not be as expensive as one that can drive a vehicle. But the the point being that, you know, even though the, the initial cost is high, uh, and you do have to worry about maintaining the vehicle, obviously. You don't pay. So all of that money, instead of, instead of taking 25% or 30%, 100% of the fares goes to the company. Yeah. And um, maintenance. Yeah. And, and maintenance. But you, you figure, well, uh, if, if on the paper, on paper, if it makes sense, then let's make this change because now we don't have to worry about drivers. Also, I mean, there are a ton of issues that I've talked about. Uh, about how Uber drivers have had, th- there's been some terrible incidents with Uber drivers and, and passengers. You don't have to worry about that with a robot. Sure, no interaction like that. Yeah, so there, there's that as well. So there's a very attractive case to be made for a service like Uber to make this switch. And I think that for autonomous cars to become a reality where we can jump into one on any given day, at least in the near future, it's going to be through something like Uber. If it's not Uber, it's going to be something very similar to Uber. And it's not likely to be a world where I go out to the dealership and I buy an autonomous car. I mean, I hope to make enough money where that could be a reality well, for me, but I'm not being. <laughs> I mean, honestly, in, you know, as they always say, 10 years, uh, you never know. Yeah. I mean, you really never know what's going to be out there and what's, what's the, what, what the price point is going to be on it. Cause they may bring it down. I know the cars are continually getting more and more expensive. And then to add that autonomous feature onto mm. it, as we said, it's going to add quite a bit of money. But sure. if that's a feature that you have to have in a vehicle or you really want to have in a vehicle, yeah. maybe it's a, it's probably more of a want thing if you're buying a car. Um, I think that uh, I think plenty of people will buy a car that's autonomous from a dealership. I mean, individuals, not just uh, fleet managers that are you mm-hmm. know looking to save money on delivery vehicles or something that can make um, you know instead of delivering people, they're delivering products. Right. Um, yeah, like but, like Amazon or or UPS or FedEx or whatever. Yeah, imagine having an automated FedEx truck mm-hmm. drive up to your house and and somehow get that package to your door. I guess right. maybe you'd have to come out and get it yourself. That'd yeah, be a, that'd be an awful system. Yeah, yeah, there maybe might a catapult. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Or, 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 you know, just, it's a truck that's just carrying drones. Oh, that's a good <laughs> and the drones fly out the back and drop the package off and then the drones, fly back in and the, recharge. The drones make the last 30 feet is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Because then you just end up having to, uh, you know, like I said, if you have the charging stations inside the vehicle, then the drones are constantly recharging their batteries. They don't have to worry about running down after one trip. Hmm. 
Not bad. I mean, you know, I'm just saying, if you want to use that idea, I, I can be paid. All right. So, uh, well, <laughs> well, let me, let me paint for you what I, what I think would be Scott's dystopian future. Oh. The nightmarish future. Okay. So let's say that, you know, one of the arguments I've seen about, about the Uber electric autonomous fleet, uh, in support of it is that it would negate the need to own a car in dense urban environments. So, uh, in, in New York City, for example, the average, uh, of the number of people who own vehicles is well below that of the national average. Mm-hmm. National average, I think it's somewhere in the range of 92% of households own a car. Yeah. In Manhattan, it's at its lowest. It's somewhere like around 30% or so. Yeah, because parking's at a premium. Parking's at a premium. Uh, and, you know, there are other alternatives to getting around. And if, if most of your travel is within you know just a few miles of where you live then you can take cabs the subway or walk to a lot of your destinations yeah. you don't need a car uh there the other boroughs in new york the the numbers are higher i think like in brooklyn it's slightly higher and then by the time you get to long island it's it's closer to the national average it's still below it but it's closer um so let's say we go into a future where at least for dense and urban environments the need to own a car is completely removed because you've got this fleet of electric vehicles that will come and pick you up on demand. You don't have to worry about where you're going. You know, the fact that you own a piece of property that is incredibly expensive and 90% of the time is sitting idle Mm -hmm. would mean that you would be able to use that space that and that money for something else. Assuming, of course, that the cost you would incur taking these trips from this service would be less than what it would be to own and, and maintain a vehicle. Well, sure. And if you want to go outside of the city, you would rent the vehicle yeah. for the day or for the week or however long you need it, right? Right. Okay. So so let's say that we're in this future where uh, you no longer need to own a car because of the reasons I've said. And because it's been demonstrated that, that autonomous vehicles are safer, is now illegal for humans to operate a car. What do you think of that future, oh, Scott? No, I do not like that. Uh, I mean, taking that out of the hands of, of individuals, I mean, to be able to drive, to have the freedom to drive a vehicle? Yeah. Oh, man, that's that's an awful thought, Jonathan. Yeah, like, it's it's coming, Scott. No, it's not coming. That day is coming. That's not coming. Oh, it's not yeah. going to be illegal to drive a vehicle. Mm, I'd say within 15 years. No, it will 15 not. 15 years, it will be illegal for a human to operate a car because the the... Uh, I can't believe what I'm hearing. The demonstration of how, f- you know, the fact that, that there will be a dramatic reduction in, uh, uh, accidents. There will be, that thus there will be this whole change in the insurance landscape. There'll be a big change in the medical landscape. It will cost less money, uh, for, uh, across multiple industries to have this in place that the idea of a person operating a vehicle would be such a huge monetary cost, let alone the uh, ability or the the potential for an accident to happen. It will be illegal for a human being to operate a car. Oh, I, I really can't believe it. I'm hearing. This, and, this and feels... 15 years, I think, is being really super aggressive with oh. that prediction, but it is going to happen. I don't think that there are enough people that would give up that freedom. You know, that would say, I well, don't... you know, you say that, but you make it legal and then suddenly. <laughs> 
I mean, granted, if there are votes held on it, I'm sure there will be a lot of resistance, but it will become more and more difficult to hold out against that. And keep in mind, we also have a generation behind us, Scott, of people who don't want to own cars. Okay, there's a boy. Where do I start with this one? <laughs> I don't think that's true either. I really don't think that's true. You don't think that the only thing that there's a generation of millennials who are uh, not as interested in owning a vehicle because of the costs and and other th- things associated with it. I'm, I'm not buying that. I don't. I don't really get the. I don't think the numbers are what they say they are. Okay. I think that I think there are more kids that still want that freedom, still want to be able to go out and and you know go somewhere on their own. I don't think mm-hmm. that the the cell phone or the uh, um you know the smartphones has completely replaced. The automobile, because that's what the argument is, right? Is that, you know, if I can, you know, Instagram or Snapchat with my friends all day, I don't really need to drive over to their house anymore. I don't I don't think that's really the case. I think people still will want to interact with each other and still want to. uh, But in this future where you have your smartphone and that's what brings the car to you. And then your the car goes away and you don't okay. have to worry about it again. I'm not going to win this. That's the smartphone's still the king. I'm just saying, Scott. <laughs> welcome to my future. I, this has a a bit of a feel of almost like not gotcha journalism, <laughs> but um, like, like a setup, like it's a trap. Right, you were, like, like, you were like, grinning like a Cheshire cat when I walked in yeah, here, so I knew that something was up. Know, but I didn't know you were going to hit me with cars will be illegal in uh, 15 years. Well, no, car ownership and and uh, well, not not even car ownership, but car uh, operation will be illegal in 15 years. Cars <laughs> okay. themselves. Will Will still be ter- perfectly legal. They just have to be operated by a machine, oh, not a sure. person. By the government. <laughs> well, by by giant corporations, which is one step away from the government. <laughs> commentary over from Jonathan Strickland. Okay, uh, okay. but oh, I'm, we're not uh, we're not ever going to see eye to eye. I was mostly that. winding you up, Scott. <laughs> I was worked. mostly winding you up, but I will say that there are a lot of people who actually argue that this is in fact the way things are going to move because. Again, it'll get harder and harder to make the argument against this movement simply from a numbers perspective. Well, if you're able to say, like, well, look at the the number of deaths that occurred due to automobile accidents and see how far they've dropped since autonomous cars have become, um, you know, increasingly popular. And ultimately, that may drive legislation. I think that in the United States, it really will take Longer than 15 years for this to happen. Oh, probably. Well, it, because it, we have such a car culture here. It's not going to happen. Oh, it'll, happen. it is going to happen, it, Scott. But, okay. but I'll tell you what, I'll put it, I'll put it off far enough where you won't have to worry about it. All right. <laughs> like, like, like 70 years from now. Se- be. Oh, seven. It's being generous. Well, that way, see, I'm, in case there's some incredible, like, life prolonging <laughs> technologies, <laughs> I want you to be comfortable. So <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say like, uh, I'll put it off until like 17 years. You won't even have to worry about it. <laughs> Like, I don't want to tell you, but I've got planned for you in 16 years. Um, <laughs> you know, well, I'll tell you what, who's, you know, who's really mad about Uber to begin with is because cab drivers. Yeah. And just wait until you start taking people out of those Uber vehicles. And yeah, that's going to make them just over the top angry. I well, mean, I think. And, I, and I actually I did an episode of forward thinking about robo taxis. And at the end of it, I, I asked the question, I said, Maybe we should actually have some compassion and think ahead of time. Say, all right, well, if this is in fact inevitable, if, if this is the future we are headed to, and it seems like that's a fair bet now, but of course you can never say that for sure, right? That's the thing about the future. It's unpredictable when you get down to it. But assuming that that is in fact the path we are headed down and that is the destination we will arrive at, maybe it behooves us to go ahead and have the conversation of, what what sort of opportunities do we look at? How do we where do we look to transition the people who are taking on driving as a profession 
And what other things could we look at as beca- as making an alternative to them so that they can still make a living? And the, the biggest answers I got were, why are we worried about that? Mm. Why are we worried about these people? And I said, well, because I have compassion and I, I worry about people who would be impacted. And they said, well, you know, we've never really worried about that in the past. Like when the loom was invented, you didn't see uh, a huge uh, outcry of – what are we, what are all these poor weavers going to do? And I thought, no, we had revolutions instead and riots. And that what I'm saying is that perhaps maybe some forward thinking about what these folks should be doing, uh, in, in lieu of professional driving could be preferable to having riots in the streets. You know, there have actually been violent riots in response to Uber, specifically in Paris. Oh, certainly. Yeah. People get, people are just outraged. Well, cab drivers are outraged yeah. and companies are outraged. And, and to some degree of success, uh, they have, uh, they have kept Uber out of certain cities, certain regions. Spain and Thailand have banned Uber. Uh, China, of course. Portland, Oregon sued Uber for coming into Portland. I got a lot of thoughts about Portland, it, but I'm uh, going to save that for a Portlandia episode. Nevada, I think. Um, uh, what's another one? New Mexico, maybe? Is that right? Uh, I, I'm not sure about other states, but I do know that uh, in Anchorage, Alaska, Uber pulled out of Anchorage. They they had gone in and then uh, after hitting a lot of resistance, decided that it wasn't worth the while of, of fighting that fight and left. And I, uh, I feel like every week there's another city or another region that says – uh, we're, we're outlawing it in this area. You well, can't, you're not allowed to pick up at the airport. You're not yeah. allowed to, uh, you know, deliver, uh, guests to this, this, uh, hotel region, this, right. uh, this convention region, I guess, where the center is. And there have been a lot of, 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 uh, battles back and forth on that. And some of them just end up eventually resulting in, uh, regulations being passed that, that put Uber under essentially the same, uh, restrictions and, and, um, responsibilities as like a taxi service. So, Drivers would have to go and get a permit from issued by the state, that kind of stuff, where where it ends up making it a more level playing ground between Uber and existing services. Now, there are some people who argue that's the wrong way of looking at it, that the taxi regulations are based out of a, an old and now outdated mode of thinking and that this Uber approach is really the way we should be moving forward. It, it is pretty antiquated, with the, especially the medallion system. I yeah, mean, that's something that uh, I know that's a thorn in a lot of people's sides. Yeah, I uh, heard that uh, I think in 2013, a medallion in New York cost one and a half million dollars, something like that. I, uh, might, I might be off. It I've, might got, be I've got numbers as of today. Oh, okay. I, I looked at these today. I went uh, to a site called NewYorkCityCab.com, uh-huh. and that's where they uh, buy, sell, and lease medallions. Mm-hmm. And you can go over there right now and check out what you know what the going rate is right now. But today, the lowest price for a single medallion as of this morning was $730,000 wow. for the lowest price one that I saw, at least on the top, you know, the front page. I think there were several pages, but mm-hmm. after you get past the first page, it gets into like a lot of leasing situations. Yeah. So um, around eight hundred dollars to $820,000 was more typical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw several for that individual medallions. And then uh, a lot of places or a lot of people were selling sets of two. So probably cab companies that have gone under, you know, company right. meaning two or Four vehicles, maybe. Right. But they're selling two at a time. The highest price I saw for a set of two was uh, $1.7 million, a little bit over that. And uh, I think the there were lots of sets for two, uh, of two, rather. 
that were going for about $1.6 million. So yeah. it's expensive. You know? and, and medallions are essentially, that's the authorization of operating a vehicle as a cab. And that's gone way, way up. Because the, the, another site that I went to, and mm-hmm. I can't remember where this came from, but I, uh, I quickly scribbled down these notes because I found it pretty fascinating mm-hmm. that, you know, it wasn't that long ago. You know, they weren't a million dollars always. Yeah. And they become more and more valuable. So good for the people that are holding on to these medallions because they can sell them at that price. Right. Those that bought them early on, they made quite a bit of money. Because, oh, yeah. Um, in mid, just in mid-2011, it was less than three-quarters of that price. So that's reasonable. In 2008, it was almost half the price. And we're talking about the million-dollar price. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in 2008, it was about 500000 in 2004, it was about a third of the price, so about 300000 mm-hmm. And in, if you had gone all the way back to 1980 to buy one, it was about $1,000. $1,000. And right now, you could sell it for $800,000. I think when they first started selling medallions way back when it first started, it was 10 bucks. $10. But then it was also 10 bucks in like 1930s or something. Yeah, or something I guess. Like but, there's, but there's only a, a certain number of medallions available. And that's the yeah. thing. It's a limited commodity. Yeah. So yeah. there's what thirteen thousand, I think. Yeah, available. somewhere somewhere in the thirteen thousand five hundred neighborhood. And not all of those get sold every year. Yeah. Only a, a very small number exchange hands every year. Sure. But every year it goes up, 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 and and it gets to this astronomical level of where you know to buy two of them now you're going to pay a, a million six. Right. That's, and see that's a that's outrageous. a that's a world that's you can understand why there's this incredible reaction to Uber because that's a world that's been you know uh, really ensconced and, 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 and almost like a fortress has been built around that business. Well, if they're allowed to come in, that means that those tokens are essentially worthless. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, they're worth nothing to them at that point. And that, that would be so frustrating to see that come in and happen. I understand that. I, I completely get it. Yeah. But you do have to kind of look at the way things are going. I mean, this is, like you, I feel this is the way that things are going to change. It's going to, it's going to, uh, it's going to have to happen this yeah. way, really. Yeah. So that's why I keep asking, like, well, what we need to think about these things ahead of time so that we can at least make the transition as smooth as possible. If it's going to happen, then let's not, you know, put as much energy into fighting it or delaying it. Let's put that energy into, well, what are some practical ways that we can make sure the people who are going to be negatively impacted by this? are able to find other means of making a living and less worry about, you know, let's put that off till next year because we're still going to have to deal with it. Let's just let's let's put that energy to dealing with it now, coming up with some answers so that when this inevitable transition happens, it isn't like an incredibly disruptive, painful time. Well, you know, if your game is driving, that's your thing, that's your career, that's your uh, your chosen path. Uh, it's not like everything is going to switch overnight either. No. So you're going to be able to move to something else that, uh, you know, may be more or less profitable than what you're doing now, but you're still going to be able to do what you've you know been trained to do or what you have done for the last 20 years or whatever. Uh, find a different way to use that skill mm-hmm. in some other form, in, other, in another uh, industry. Maybe you're... Maybe you're, uh, you know, I, boy, I hate to even say like alternatives to it, but um, let's say that you're, you know, running documents across town all day, you know, mm-hmm. for a law firm, um, but you're making money driving again, or you're working for a hospital delivering, you know, needed medical supplies, or sure, something like that. Find find other alternative routes to, uh, you know, to uh, to explore with this, and uh, I don't think you know the cab drivers need to be afraid that they're going to be, you know, completely shut out, you know, overnight. No, no. it's not going to happen. Like no, that. that's why I say like it's it's good to think of it ahead of time, so that way, as the transition happens, you have a plan in place as opposed to 
that inevitable day comes where you get your pink slip because the robots are taking over, right? <laughs> so, I mean, by the way, when when I talk about this, it's not just with drivers. I mean, there's so many jobs that are going to be replaced through automation, and we're already seeing that. I mean, we've seen that in lots of industries already. It's a story that's happened over and over again. It will eventually hit pretty much every job that's out there. And when the robo podcasts start, I guess I'll subscribe and I'll just weep little tears. <laughs> you think it'll happen someday? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, if we ever, if we ever can create an artificial intelligence that can, uh, actually innovate, as in come up with interesting things to say and not just parrot them and repeat them, uh, I'm out of a job on well, that day. You know, I'm all for a robot running the car stuff podcast as long as it doesn't stumble <laughs> around as much as I do. Cause I, uh, I tend to wander off on, uh, you know, um, just, Stories that go nowhere. Right. The, things like, yeah, that. Like, like, I got a story to tell you, but there's going to be a 15 parter to lead into yeah. the story. I've got a sidebar on that issue. Yeah. I, <laughs> I am all, I'm all about that myself for, uh, for all the podcasts I do. Scott, thank you for coming on here and, and giving your perspective on these things. It was, uh, a lot of fun to, to chat with you about this because obviously we come from this from two very different points of view, right? I mean, I don't drive. Um, and yeah, clearly I, you hate cars. No, uh, yeah, that's it. I despise cars. <laughs> I, I, I have, I, I hiss at them vampire style and whenever I see one. No, I don't hate cars, but I certainly don't like driving. So, um, in my world, the idea of an electric vehicle that can autonomously take me from point A to point B as quickly and efficiently as possible. And I don't have to worry about it, you know, doing the crossword. While trying to drive, which, by the way, I have been in a cab where the cab driver was filling out a crossword puzzle while navigating the streets of New York. Oh, that's miserable. Yeah, I I would never have to worry about that. I want that world to happen. But then I'm also, I'm also a person who and I'm in the minority in the United States, I would argue, a person who does not find any joy in driving. So for me. This is precisely what I would want. I, you know what? I totally understand that. I yeah. know that there are people that, that can't drive that would also appreciate this. Sure. And, and that, in fact, I talk about that a little bit in the, the first part of this podcast where, uh, one of the big complaints about Uber, uh, right now is that people with disabilities say that it's not nearly accessible enough for those people and that that's something that needs to change. And if that did change, it would be, I mean, the um, amount of independence that gives somebody is, it's difficult to explain to someone who has taken it for granted. And not only uh, disability, you got to think about aging as well. Sure. Uh, people that, you know, are simply get to a point where they're unable to, you know, maintain their own license, you know, yep. vision or hearing or whatever it happens to be. It's usually vision yeah. or, um, you know, physical ability. Sure. And uh, this would extend uh, the time that they're, they have a, uh, a bit of freedom to move around the city. And that's, that is very, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly important. We have an uh, increasingly large aging population in the United States where giving that amount of independence and extending that independence to someone, I mean, it's difficult to put into words how important that is. And, you know, how, I mean, just one other level to that whole thing is that, you know, when you get older like that and you're not, you're not quite as, uh, as, I guess you're a little more frail yeah. than you were when you were younger. Um, there's also the safety concern when you get sure. into a cab. You know, what's going to happen? You know, you're, you don't know who this person is that's picking you up. Yeah. I would think that a lot of senior citizens that are beyond driving age would feel comfortable getting into a vehicle that doesn't have anybody in there. It's, mm-hmm. it's very secure. It's very safe. You can yep. lock the doors and, uh, you know, the rest of the world's out there. It takes you right to the shopping mall or wherever you're going, brings you back home. 
it's it's pretty safe trip for you, really. Yeah, yeah, I definitely see lots of positives about this. I mean, you know, you you can't ignore the the concerns, obviously, but uh, seeing as this is the way we both feel, we're inevitably going to head. Uh, I think there are worse futures that well, we could realize. As so. much as I like to resist the idea, um, I, I do think it's coming. Yeah, I really do. I look forward to a. Uh, to revisiting this topic in 15 years to, <laughs> to get your your tirade on the day when they outlaw human drivers. Yeah, these damn kids. <laughs> Why did we ever put them in office? Uh, well, that'll that day will will we'll have to wait for that day. In the meantime, if you want to check out Scott's podcast, and I highly recommend you do. Oh, thank you. You need to go over and check out Car Stuff. You and Ben cover all sorts of topics. Uh, and, uh, they're always incredibly informative and entertaining. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a, uh, it's a wonderful compliment. And, uh, we try to not make it so dry all the time. We, uh, yeah. we get a little history in there, some fun stuff too. It's not just, uh, you know, nuts and bolts type stuff. I still, I mean, like I listened to it. One of my favorite, uh, ones, I loved the, um, the, the, the coast to coast racing. Episode. Oh yes, uh, uh, the fastest trip across the United States, yeah. right? Yeah, I think it might have been that one. Yeah, yeah cannonball like, run, cannonball run, gumball rally. Whenever we start talking about that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, because even though I don't drive, I love those that idea. Like, like, all right, well, let's let's uh, let's break a few laws. Maybe let's you're not <laughs> as much of a hater as I thought you. Were. I am not as much of a hater. Just. I've got I've got the hate filled up to the threshold, but it's not peeking over the top yet. Good to know. And uh, thanks for having me on your show, by the way. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for, for, for jumping on at the last minute. I really appreciate it. Always fun. All right, guys. If you have any suggestions for future topics of tech stuff, why don't you just send me an email? That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Twitter or Facebook. I am techstuffhsw at both of those, and I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.